Hey y'all, what's going on? Uh, back again with a with another episode. This one is uh, not quite what I had in mind. Um, I was fully planning on recording my Chamber of Secrets episode today, as I uh, as I said last time. I'd watched it and then I got everything all set up for that. Uh, both the the news of Chadwick Boseman uh, passing away last night uh, after his battle with cancer. Um, I just I just wanted to sit down and watch some of his movies today, and I thought it would be best to start with where I was introduced to him, which is uh, Civil War, and then and then I will probably also do Black Panther as well and Infinity War, kind of get those in there, and then I'm going to uh, I'm going to privately watch some of his other movies, like I plan tonight to watch Forty Two, and uh, possibly Get On Up. If I, depending on on when I'm able to watch those, because it's like it's 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 sad. Um, like I don't really know much to say, like beyond the obvious, which is fuck cancer. Uh, it's the worst. And Chadwick Boseman, he seemed like he like he was a hell of a man, and a hero to people in his own right. Um, it, it's it's. it's it's really sad, uh, it, but uh, what I want to try and do for these movies is um, discuss them how I normally would, uh, just go through the movie and talk about it, um, and just try to focus on what I like about them and, and all that, uh, yeah, um, and then, like I said, I want to spend the rest of my day just watching some of his movies, uh, like I've never seen Defy Bloods and I want to watch that. I hear good things and Marshall's also on Netflix, which is another one I want to watch at some point. And it just feels kind of apropos. It's, it's a way to 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 enjoy his work that obviously must have meant a lot to him for him to be to continue, you know, continue doing it th- through all the pain and and suffering he was likely going through. But yeah. Um I'm not gonna do any news today. I'm just gonna gonna hop into the movie. So uh, yeah, so as I said, we're starting with Captain America: Civil War. Um, Civil War was the highly, highly anticipated follow-up to Captain America: The Winter Soldier, and it's a loose adaptation of the comic book arc, uh, also called Civil War from 2006. I say loose because they are very loosely connected. Like the similar, the similarities really are only the overlying issue, in a way, which in itself those are different. Uh, and the two leaders of the teams, which is Iron Man and, and Captain America, because that's also what it is in the comic. Um, essentially, what happens in the comic is there is an incident. There's a fight between a hero group. I believe they're called the New Warriors. And a group of villains that I, I cannot remember their name, but they're they're pretty inconsequential. Um, and one of the villains, I guess, causes an explosion or, or something, and uh, six hundred people are killed, uh, many of whom were school children. And uh, all the all the villains and all of the new warriors, I think, except one, uh, were killed. And uh, public opinion quickly turned against the superheroes at that time. Like some of them even had their secret identities leaked and were getting attacked uh, by people in public. Like uh, 
the Human Torch was attacked, I think, outside of a club by, like, a mob of people and stuff. Um, anyway, this led to Iron Man helping Congress pass uh, what's called the Superhuman Registration Act, which is the comic books. What what the movie has is the Sokovia Accords. It's essentially that kind of thing uh, in the comic book, and it requires the registration of all superpowered individuals in the U.S. and uh, the enlistment and training of any of those superpowered individuals who wish to be uh, superheroes. So essentially, that they they become soldiers to to America. Uh, Captain America is against this, and uh, he refuses to join. Uh, because of that, he gets attacked by Shield uh, even before like the act has been like put in place. He gets attacked for trying to go against it, and he goes on the run, where he forms uh, what's called the Secret Avengers, and he uh, has Luke Cage with him there, Falcon, uh, Daredevil, who at this time is Danny Rand, uh, Hercules, pretty much all of the Young Avengers, the Punisher is sort of part of the team at times, and then uh, Spider-Man eventually joins them, uh, but he starts on Team Iron Man, which I will talk about. Uh, the main difference, I think, between the book and the movie, like in my opinion, is that in the book, Iron Man is pretty clearly like the villain of it. Like it, he is very clearly the one in the wrong, and he's the one who does like a lot of iffy stuff that like that is questionable. Like he creates a clone of Thor that goes berserk and ends up killing some people, like innocent people. Um, I think he gives. Spider-Man a suit that like controls Spider-Man and makes him do things against his will, uh, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, so the Civil War in the comic book ends with uh, Captain America realizing just how much damage is being done, like in their fighting, and he surrenders, convincing the rest of them to surrender as well. Uh, however, there is quite the amount of aftermath to this event in the book, uh, similar to the movie, which has quite a bit of aftermath as well. Um, Captain America is arrested, and then he is assassinated. Uh, Bucky becomes the new Captain America. Uh, Aunt May is killed because uh, Spider-Man, by siding with Tony, has to reveal his identity, which he does, and it ultimately leads to like a bunch of stuff. So it leads to like J. Jonah Jameson suing Peter. Uh, for like false I'm not even sure what he's doing. like for like lying and like selling pictures of himself under the guise of taking pictures of someone else like all that kind of stuff and then uh, also it leads to some assassins trying to to get to him and then, and then they end up killing Aunt May uh, and this is what leads in the Spider-Man world into uh, the canon altering storyline called A Brand New Day where they make a deal with Mephisto, uh, they being uh, Peter and Mary Jane, and like in exchange for their marriage, uh, Mephisto is gonna like change reality to the point of where, I guess, everything happened as it did except Spider-Man didn't reveal his identity. So like the only things that changed in canon, like the Marvel canon, were that. Uh, Peter and Mary Jane never got married. They broke up before they could get married. But everything else proceeded pretty much the same. And then, I guess, uh, Spider-Man just didn't reveal his identity. 
this was just a cheap way, I guess, of them. They Marvel at the time, for some reason, just didn't want Peter to be married anymore, and this was their way of uh, of getting rid of it without like a divorce and keeping him like young. But yeah, they, they the in story reason was to bring uh, Aunt May back and to protect his identity. So yeah. Uh, anyway, more aftermath stuff. Uh, Tony Stark becomes the director of Shield. Um, a lot of heroes end up leaving the country, or like they stay hidden underground because they refuse to sign. Like Luke Cage is a big one who uh, he just won't sign, so he stays pretty much hidden for for a few years. Uh, Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman end up leaving the Fantastic Four for a time because of it, and they they go to work on their own issues. Um, that's pretty much everything that I can remember uh, that was like that came about after Civil War. Um, there was eventually a sequel book that, in my opinion, was much less good. Uh, the Civil War Two, and it was between uh, Captain Marvel and Iron Man, and it had to do with an Inhuman who had the ability to like see the future. And um, yeah, it's it's a whole thing. Anyways. Uh, I didn't like this book, and I think the main issue is that once again they did the thing that the first one did, where there was one of the people that was clearly in the wrong. I think, like, if you read it, at least to me, it was very clear that Captain Marvel was in the wrong. Yet they were painting her as if she was in the right. So like, it just really didn't work for me. But yeah, that's I, I, just, I didn't like it. I also didn't really like the Civil War book itself, mainly because it was like a clear there was a clear bad guy rather than it the movie I think where it's a lot um, a lot less clear. And yeah, I love this movie. Uh, a lot of people refer to it as Avengers two point five because it you know it kind of kind of is a time, but it's also very much a sequel to to Captain America Winter Soldier, which is why it, it stays under the Captain America banner. I suppose. Uh, I personally fall pretty hard into the Team Cap uh, area, based on the circumstances of this movie, and like the circumstances from the movies before this one. But Tony's side, and I think more the reasons of people on Tony's side than his own, uh, makes sense and is reasonable. Like it's not. I don't think you can dismiss it out of hand, uh, which is good. Like if we lived in a world where these people existed. Like if there was Avenger powerful people in our world and we didn't know them because we didn't have several movies of build up and stuff it's understandable that most of the world I think would want some control over them which you know like yeah it's fair <laughs> but before the movie came out and like right when they announced it I assumed that they were they were going to swap the roles because uh, while Cap was was still pretty anti-government at this point. He was a lot less anti-government than Tony had been up to this point, because Tony was very anti-establishment and anti-government and stuff. So, like, I had a hard time picturing him agreeing to this it, with how he was in the movies to this point. But then I realized uh, later on and through watching watching all the movies a few more times, I, I realized that Tony uh, was the type of person who was very like he he very much lets himself be dictated by his current circumstances like he lets whatever is happening in his life at the time become an obsession or something he follows almost religiously uh and that's what he does here 
like he feels guilt he feels guilty and then the guilt is is directly slapped in his face by the by the lady uh, I can't remember her name but the, Charlie's mom and he goes uh, full steam ahead from that point on to assuage that guilt and he, like he doesn't think to look at his actions or what what his actions are causing because his he's so like narrow-minded in on fixing what he think needs to be fixed and it's the same thing in uh, like H. Voltron he thinks the world needs a shield so he focuses so clearly on that that he doesn't see the dangers of what he's doing and then in Iron Man 1 he's so focused on um, solving the problems uh, that his weapons have caused and he's so focused on that that he's not paying attention to the damage he's doing to his company to Pepper to himself like he's got that narrow vision so it, it makes sense that this is that he would be the one who'd be for it after something goes wrong because once once he gets in a certain mindset he's stuck on it which I, which I like um, and these the movies have also shown us from the first one on like so Captain America 1 to Avengers to um, Winter Soldier to this one they showed us that the governments are flawed and that they often make the wrong decisions or they refuse to make decisions at all and for the Avengers to do what they must or what like what Captain America thinks they must they have to be free to make their own decisions on when to act or not to act because they would turn the tide of any event too much to not have that decision uh, but yeah anyway enough uh, preamble we'll get on to the movie uh, so the movie opens in 1991, presumably December, <laughs> with the Winter Soldier uh, getting his brain zapped again, and uh, the command words are being spoken to take control of him. I like the inclusion of the command words, because I think it makes it more of a big deal when he manages to break out of the brainwashing at times, like in, in the Winter Soldier when he breaks out uh, when he's with Steve. Like, it makes it that much more monumental that he's overpowering the, the code words rather than just overpowering like brain wipes so I like that uh, and we see him get sent on a mission by his handler and all we see of it at, uh, to this point is that it's a car accident that he causes and he steals some blue goo uh, we later get confirmation that this was the Stark's car and that uh, the Winter Soldier killed Maria and Howard Stark which I feel most people who paid attention during The Winter Soldier would know this, as it's pretty heavily and overtly implied by Zola. Like, it is 100% it is confirmed in Winter Soldier that Hydra killed um, Marie and Howard. And then we know from everything in that movie that Bucky is the assassin they used to do stuff. So like it, it it stands completely within reason that he would have been the one to do it. So I I for one was not at all shocked, and I was like, when people were talking about it after, I was just like, Is it, it wasn't that always obvious. Like I I knew that a movie ago, but anyways, that's how they open the movie, and we hop then we hop to uh, today time. So I guess twenty sixteen it would have been uh, in Lagos, Nigeria, with the new roster of Avengers, minus Vision, War Machine, like. I don't know why they aren't there. I don't think it's ever mentioned. But the uh, yeah, the new Avengers are on a mission to capture Crossbones and stop him from getting a bioweapon, I think is what it is. Um, 
and I just realized at this point when I was watching it that they do an even split of the team. Like, so there's six of them. It's Cap, Wanda, Natasha, Rhodey, Vision, and Falcon. And three of them go to Team Cap, and three of them go to, to Team Iron Man, which is, you know, it's neat. Anyway, we get to see some of the training that they uh, presumably were doing at the end of Age of Ultron in use. And we hear uh, Wanda's significantly toned down accent, which I'm sure was preferred for Elizabeth, and it doesn't really bother me. Like, it's believable enough that she's been in America for a couple of years now, and then the accent has maybe begun to fade a bit. So, you know, I'm fine with it. Uh, but since this is the first of the MCU movies I'm doing, I kind of just wanted to touch on the cast as they appear. Uh, I'm going to sound a lot like a broken record because pretty much everyone is perfect, and I'll likely say that a lot. <laughs> um, I also kind of wanted to, to introduce my concept I wanted to do with the Avengers movies, like as I mentioned in the last episode, that what I want to do. But I'm going to do it with this one because uh, I'm doing it, where I look at which movies I think are a must to watch before watching this for the first time. So what MCU movies that came out before Civil War are needed to, to fully get the experience out of Civil War. Uh, now, as I mentioned last week, again, uh, I pretty steadfastly believe that you should watch them all. And if you're confused because you didn't watch them all, that isn't the movie's fault. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that these are all parts of a series, like none really stand alone. Some can stand alone, but like none really do. They're all part of this bigger world. It's it'd be like it's akin to watching a TV show, I guess, and then you miss four or five episodes, and then expect the show to to, to catch you up on everything you missed or to reintroduce everything. Like it doesn't work like that. <laughs> but uh, I won't rant on that just yet. I'm gonna just leave that there. Uh, and just get on to the actual like, concept. So for this movie, there are some I think you can just watch recaps of if you really want to, like ones that you don't necessarily have to watch, even though I think you should. And uh, those are Captain America the First Avenger and Iron Man 2 and 3. But the must-sees before this movie, I think, are Avengers 1 and 2, so uh, the first Avengers, Age of Ultron, uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier, and the first Iron Man movie. Uh, these ones, I think, will set the best of the foundation that you need to know to follow this movie the most, and it will introduce you to most of the players. Uh, I think the only one you won't know is Ant-Man. I mean, you won't know Ross either, but, like, I don't think, like... I don't... No one really wants to watch The Incredible Hulk. Like, it's fine, but <laughs> no one really wants to watch it. Uh... The solo Iron Man movies, I think, show more of what I said about his personality earlier and how he attaches to things. Uh, but Iron Man 1 and Age of Ultron also get that across pretty well, like enough that I think you don't need to watch the other ones. And First Avenger, uh, Captain America First Avenger, sets up the Bucky and Steve relationship well, but I know a lot of people don't consider it the most enjoyable of movies. Um, so I think a recap for that would be fine and just like just make yourself aware of everything that happened in that one without watching it but I'd recommend watching it if you really want to just it's, I don't think it's a must for being prepared for this movie 
which is kind of weird, but you know, it is what it is. So yeah, uh, and we're we're gonna get into the cast. So the first one we see is obviously Bucky, the Winter Soldier. Um, Sebastian Stan, I think, is everything I wanted from Bucky. Uh, he plays him very well at both points, like uh, as Bucky and as the Winter Soldier. But I think Winter Soldier Bucky is on like another level. He plays that so well. The from the completely controlled to the confused and trying to get a sense of himself to the resigned, like just tired old man. <laughs> like I think it's all great. Uh, Chris Evans' Captain America is also perfection. When I first heard that he was going to be Captain America, I was like, okay, I like him well enough. I liked him in Fantastic Four. I liked him in another teen movie. He, he wasn't how I ever pictured Cap, like from the comics, because, I mean, Captain America in the comics is ginormous and blonde and stuff. But at the time, I was like, I'll see what he does. And, and I think he nailed it in the first Avenger, and I think he continued to nail it from then on. Like, he plays a man at a time so well, and, like, he, he plays the steadfast icon so well. Uh, I'm also glad that they didn't really dye his hair blonde. Like, it looks like they might have lightened it a bit at first, but I don't think it was needed, and he looks more normal without it, which I like. <laughs> Next is uh, Elizabeth Olsen, uh, Scarlet Witch. Uh, I think she's so good. She's another one who wasn't quite what I expected, because Scarlet Witch, to me, from when I, whenever I read the comics, was always someone I looked at to be kind of Greek or Eastern European-looking. Like, the black hair, olive, like, the olive skin, tall, regal-looking. But Elizabeth plays it really well in her own way that I am... Uh, I'm here for it. This Scarlet Witch, to the point... Like, to this point in the movie, and even beyond, like, even to, like, end of Endgame is very different from the comic one. I think it's due to the mutant thing, of course. Because uh, Fox owned mutants, and they owned most of the most of the mutant characters, so they couldn't... Marvel couldn't really use it in the MCU. And that led to Marvel themselves retconning uh, Scarlet Witch in the comics, making it, making it that her and Quicksilver weren't mutants, and that they weren't Magneto's kids, but rather that they were... Uh, genetic experiments or in humans there was i think you you get a bit of both at one point anyways i think they did that because they thought they were never going to get x-men back in the mcu and then i think it was a stupid decision um yeah anyway <laughs> black widow i think is perfect uh like i expected a more russian person but i suppose she's a spy and she has to be able to hide all that so it makes sense that she's not super russian uh i'm very excited for the solo film uh, still i was on board uh, with scarlet as, as black widow from iron man 2 on and if anything she's just gotten better as we see like more of her human side uh creeping in only thing i will say with her is that she's the only one that i like really noticed the stunt double for which, which i mean fair enough she's doing all these twirls and stuff but it's just something I noticed, uh, particularly during the beginning of the Lagos fight scenes. Um, you can just tell by looking at the hair, without without like even without the movements, just by the hair, you can tell when the stunt doubles in, and when it's when it's Miss uh, Johansson. Anthony Mackie plays uh, the Falcon very well. 
and I'm interested to see how he does as Captain America, if that's a role he actually does take on in the MCU more permanently. I have not read a lot of uh, Falcon books. Like Mostly the stuff I've seen him in is just Captain America stuff where he was present, uh, Avengers stuff where he was a present, and a, a bit of his early run as Captain America I had read. But I find uh, Anthony Mackie very funny and uh, was an M on board for, for him as, as Captain America. Not as Captain America, sorry, as Falcon. Because um, I like him. And I like how uh, Cap-like he is in these movies. Like, He's got like the steadfastness, the loyalty, the trust, like, etc. He, he does a good job of that. Uh, and I also love how they integrated Red Wing. Because I think it would have been dumb if he had a bird companion. <laughs> Yeah, that's all the cast they've introduced to this point. So, continuing with the movie, uh, the MCU does another instance of one of my least favorite things that they do, and in, in that they kill a villain. Uh, Crossbones, who's the like the villain at the beginning of this, blows up and obviously dies. But pretty much every villain in the MCU dies. Like, Claw's dead, Thanos is dead, Ronan is dead, Killmonger's dead. Obadiah Stane's dead, Ultron is likely dead, Mysterio is likely dead. Like, come on, just arrest some people. <laughs> Stop being so deadly, heroes. Come on, guys. Like, these are some pr like some pretty important villains to the mythos. Just, just gone. Anyways, yeah. Uh, so Crossbones uh, sets off an explosion, which Wanda tries to contain. Uh, she uses her magic stuff to try to lift it away from civilians and from Captain America but she loses control over it and it explodes into a building uh, killing several people one thing I don't quite get uh, prefaces by saying I'm no expert on explosives in fact I know nothing about explosives but wouldn't the explosion have just fizzled out when it couldn't spread rather than being continuously contained and then unleashed like I would imagine she'd put the shield around the explosion. The explosion would try to expand outwards, because that's what it does, be unable to, and then it would fizzle out and go away. Like that's that's how I would think it would work at least. It's just like if you if you set off a bomb in like a in like a super durable room, the walls will contain it. It'll hit the walls. It will not be able to spread out of the walls, and then it will fizzle out. But, again, I could be completely wrong in, in misunderstanding explosives, so that's just one thing I, I, I noticed when I was watching. Uh, after this, we get introduced to Tony Stark using barf. Uh, something, something retroframing. I don't remember what the first two letters stand for. But uh, what is there? to say about Robert Downey Jr. beyond saying he's absolutely perfect. Like, if anything, I think he made Iron Man infinitely more likable as a character. As in the comics, he was cool, but he was always, like, a bit of a douche, and I never really cared for him until RDJ came along. Like, there's no better choice, because now when I read a, with the Iron Man comic, I read it with the guise of, this is Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man, and it makes it so much easier to, to be on board with him. And I think this movie does a really good job setting up the final confrontation. Like, it sets up very early that Bucky was always in his head and trying to get out, because uh, Crossbones has some lines about it. 
we know that Cap is focused on finding Bucky, and we know that Tony is stuck on guilt in general, but mainly that he deeply misses his parents, uh, as we see in his barf session. Marvelous stuff. <laughs> see what I did there, Marvelous? Um, but like, yeah, we're like 20 minutes in, and this is already all set up, which is great. Uh, I also like the concept of barf, but I think that system, like, I don't think that system would truly let you process your grief. Like, I think it would become more of a crutch or something to get lost in, a la the mirror of Erised, how, um, like, Harry just became obsessed with it. Anyway, it's not relevant to the movie, so. <laughs> but I love the little touches we get at MIT, uh, showing how much past events have affected Tony and, like, how much he has lost due to his choices. Like, we see that he lost... Uh, we see that he's he's still broken up by his parents. Uh, we see that he lost Pepper. Um, we see that he still has PTSD and and, and uh, anxiety from when uh, Charlie's mom reaches into her purse and he, like, grabs her because he thinks she's getting a weapon. Like, all that stuff. And then the biggest thing to happen in the movie is uh, Charlie Spencer's mom puts the guilt on him, which sets Tony on his course for the rest of the movie when she blames him for the death of, of her son in Sokovia. Um, but yeah, we head to the Avengers complex or whatever it is, and uh, Vision has his first appearance here. Um, Vision's another character I did not read much of, uh, but I very much enjoyed Paul Bettany's portrayal as we see him become more human throughout the movies, and I loved his performance as Jarvis, so, you know, I'm pleased. Uh, so Thunderbolt Ross shows up, and I'm completely baffled as to how he became Secretary of State. Like, dude destroyed most of Harlem. Like, the whole thing in The Incredible Hulk was entirely his fault. I think this is even more reason to doubt the government and their intentions if he's the one like who's that high up behind this. I wouldn't trust it. Uh, also notice that Ross happened to leave Harlem off his little sideshow of, of catastrophes, which is convenient. <laughs> the one that he's responsible for, he didn't show. Uh, the only thing I think that seems factually correct about what he's talking about is that they leave a lot of chaos behind and that they seem to do very little to fix it after. Uh, except for Tony, who I assume finds a lot of the repairs and stuff. We, there's no confirmation of that, but I, I feel like that's something he would do with all the guilt that he has and stuff. But yeah, I don't, I don't really agree with, with most of what Thunderbolt Ross is saying there. Uh, Thunderbolt Ross then introduces us to this movie's version of the super... Human Registration Act, which is the Sokovia Accords. Um, Ross here says compromise is the way of the world, and that like is needed and stuff. Yet there was no compromise for the Avengers. Uh, other people decided on what the accords were, and then the threat is made clear. Like you sign these or you retire. Like I don't think there's any compromise there. Probably would have been better if they're like, hey, we want some oversight. This is what we're thinking. You guys look at this, and we'll, like, debate it back and forth until we find something that works for everyone. But that's not what happened. <laughs> uh, we head over to Cleveland next, where we meet the villain, uh, Helmut Zemo. I don't think they ever say his first name. If they do, I can't remember. 
uh, in the comics, he is Helmet Zemo, though. Let me see, what's his name? Is it just Helmet Zemo? Okay, yeah, it's just Helmet Zemo. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, we meet him in Cleveland. Uh, I also don't know much about him from the comics other than he has a purple mask. I do like the touch, though, of uh, when Helmet's knocking on the door. He's trying to hide his accent, like he's trying to sound American. So as not to spook the guy inside, I think. But you can still clearly hear his accent at times, like if you listen for it, which I like. Uh, he is looking for information on Mission Report, December 16, 1991, uh, which we saw flashes of at the beginning of the movie. So we know that this is important, even if we don't know for sure what it is yet. But it's the movie has shown us that it is important and is going to be relevant. So we get Rhodey. Uh, here and he makes an argument that I think is pretty stupid his argument is essentially at first that we should go along with this because Ross has awards and medals and stuff yet anyone and everyone in the audience or anyone who re reads comics kind of know that Ross is a bad dude like if you see Incredible Hulk you know he's a bad dude <laughs> so yeah I don't his arguments are dumb uh, speaking of Rhodey I like Don Cheadle a lot but he's not who I like ever really pictured as War Machine. Neither was um can't remember his name, but the guy from the first Iron Man, uh Terrence Howard. Uh I always pictured more of like a Denzel Washington, Idris Elba looking kind of guy, like someone like I, I feared John Stewart, the Green Lantern John Stewart and War Machine probably looked very similar in that they were like they were tall and and big like marine looking people um but i enjoy the humor down cheetle brings so i'm not complaining like i i think he plays it very well and then and i like it it's just not what i envisioned from when i read comics and stuff and what i expected but again what i think doesn't matter <laughs> uh vision then he, he starts talking about the rise in like confrontation and stuff since Iron Man showed up and suggests that there may be a causality between Iron Man and the Avengers coming about and all the catastrophes that follow. Uh, I agree partially. I think he's correct when he says that sometimes strength invites challenge. And, I, you know, there's, there's some truth to that. But looking at all the events that, that the people are complaining about in this movie, I think the only event that took place that would either have not happened at all without the Avengers or would have been worse without them is the Ultron mess. Um, I think the, Chitar the Chitauri were coming anyways to get the Tesseract. And if they weren't coming, Thanos was coming to get it. And the damage maybe might have been less or it would have been worse he might have just come along and they might have killed 50% of the population then like it's hard to say but I think that one you can't you can't blame them I think the the Avengers made that one infinitely better uh, Hydra thing would have been worse without Cap because they were planning to kill a bunch of people with Project Oversight and then they would have taken over the world which you know you don't want uh, Legos would have been worse because the bad guys would have gotten a bioweapon you know, so on and so forth. Um, I don't think their their strength might invite some challenge, but this, the the actual 
things that happened, uh, the catastrophes, to borrow Vision's word, I don't think you can place at the feet of the Avengers. I don't think the, ca the causality is there, except for Ultron. Um, I do agree, though, that oversight should not be dismissed out of hand, but I think that's where the crux of the problem is, as I mentioned. like There's no wiggle room offered, and there's no time for wiggle room later. Like Things just kick off, and then it's sign or don't sign. Um, there was no room for compromise, which is the problem. I think oversight could have been considered with some compromise. But yeah. Uh, Tony uses the Charlie argument to try and convince all the Avengers that they need oversight. But I think Sokovia is pretty strictly his fault. Like, that's it. it none of the Avengers had anything to do with that. Like, if anything, they tried to help like control or contain the damage that Tony caused. Like you could say Bruce might be at fault too because he did help with Ultron, but it's mostly Tony. So I don't. That's like that's very early on where I was like I don't agree with Tony. <laughs> it's his own fault that that happened, but you know, whatever. Uh, the line that Captain America says, and I, I don't have this quoted verbatim because I tried, I just wrote it down off memory, but it, uh, when he says, what if they send us somewhere we don't think we should go, or somewhere we need to go, and there's somewhere we need to go and they won't let us, um, and he says that the UN is filled with people with agendas and that agendas change, I think that those two things sums up uh, Cap's argument pretty perfectly. And it's a much more convincing argument, in my opinion, uh, especially based on what we've seen in these movies so far, and the decisions and the agendas of the people in charge. We saw the, uh, the World Council, or whatever they're called, try to nuke New York. Uh, we learned that behind S.H.I.E.L.D. and the World Council was HYDRA. Uh, we know that Nick Fury was trying to use the Tesseract to make weapons, like there's all these things that like all these warning signs in this world to this point where it like makes what Cap's saying the most logical of the answers but yeah uh, the argument gets brought to an abrupt end when Cap gets a text message uh, telling him that Peggy Carter died uh, and he goes to go to her funeral and Agent 13 is back as Sharon Carter I don't remember who plays her um, but I think that relationship is super creepy, both in the comics and otherwise, and I'm glad that the MCU drops it after this movie. Like, I'm glad we don't see any more of it. Um, not to brag or whatever, but as soon as they introduced the Time Stone and Doctor Strange, my theory that I, I stuck pretty strongly to was that uh, Captain America was going to go back in time and be with Peggy in some way. I assumed it would be accidental or for a purpose rather than a deliberate choice. Like, he'd go back in time with one of the stones to hide the stones or something. But I was still somewhat spot on, so I'll take credit for that. <laughs> like, I, w I was fairly confident before Infinity War came out that they weren't going to kill Captain America. And I thought this was a way that they could write him out of the current movies. But then it's also keeping him open and available to bring back. Because then, like, they could just go get him. Kind of thing. But yeah, Peggy dying and, and the funeral, I think, is kind of the final push 
Steve needed to be fairly steadfast against the Accords. Like, we see him bend a little bit later, but for the most part, he's pretty set in his way from this point on because of the, the be a tree and you move, whatever, quote. <laughs> and, uh, we Now the movie takes us to Vienna for the signing of the Accords, and we meet the man himself, uh, Chadwick Boseman, as Prince T'Challa, soon to be king. Um, I think to this point, there are three people in the MCU who I think are completely spot on, like beyond reproach in the roles that they're in, and that's uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, Chris Hemsworth as Thor, and Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther. Uh, from the moment you meet him in these movies, I think you just go, yeah. This is Black Panther. <laughs> From the look of him, like the way he holds himself, the accent, the movement as Black Panther, like all of it is just page to screen good. Which you so rarely get. And it's like, I love it. Uh, Natasha is at this meeting to represent the Avengers, I guess. And uh, then a big bomb goes off killing T'Chaka, uh, T'Challa's father, um, and I never noticed until now, but I think it's pretty likely that T'Challa only survived the, the blast because of the Black Panther powers, because he was pretty much right in, like, the center of where that blast hit, like, like he was beside his father pretty much. If anything, he might have been a little closer to it, so, uh, interesting little tidbit, I suppose, um, we also get an excellent little bit of uh, world building and setup for what to expect in the Black Panther movie uh, during the discussion between Natasha and T'Challa, which I like. And he has a line about death not being the end in his culture, which is uh, particularly poignant today uh, and right now with, uh, with his passing. Uh, but we also get to see the starting point for the character development of T'Challa in this movie. Uh, he is a man with a focus on vengeance, and his goal is to kill Bucky, uh, who is the suspect in the bombing. We know it isn't him, we, it's uh, Zemo, obviously. We learn, well, we learn for sure later, but you're pretty sure that it's not Bucky. Uh, and he becomes someone who realizes that revenge tears people apart, and it isn't the justice that he's seeking or that he wants to, to do, which I love. It's, it's very well done for like, his fairly minimal, fairly minimal screen time in this movie but I do appreciate uh, we get a scene of Zemo in his hotel room and he's practicing and trying to learn the control ro the words for Bucky uh, because he stole the, the, the book that has them from the guy in Cleveland um, it's a really nice touch I think rather than him just being fluent in Russian and being able to say them that little touch of him practicing and then showing us the EMP is, is set in the groundwork for us to come. I really, really like. So we keep, we go to Budapest, I think is where they are. Or, or they're somewhere. <laughs> uh, and Steve finds Bucky and it leads to an excellent action sequence. Uh, and we get a sense of how powerful both these men are as they toss the cops around like rag dolls and jump off things and stuff uh seeing bucky starting to become aware is so great and seeing that he is confused still but knowing 
he doesn't want to kill anyone anymore makes it all the more powerful, I think, when he is taken control of again later in the movie. I like it. It's also a nice touch when uh, Steve catches the guy that Bucky almost knocks down the stairs, and he's like, come on, man. <laughs> I think that's great. Then we get our first look at the incredible uh, Black Panther costume, which is still my favorite of all the uh, Black Panther costumes we see in subsequent movies. Like, I love the silver pieces that run throughout it that are kind of like expo exposed vibranium. Uh, and we learn here that it is made from vibranium because it deflects a bunch of bullets from a turret helicopter thing. Show not tell, which is always appreciated in a movie, though I have no idea how none of those bullets hit Bucky, who was under T'Challa at that time. Like Some of those would have hit him. Anyways, uh, the movie, once again, shows us rather than tells us how fast and strong uh, Black Panther is by showing him keeping up with and uh, surpassing Stephen Bucky, two people we already know are heavily enhanced. So we also therefore know that the Black Panther is enhanced. Fun little story. When I watched this with my dad for the first time, uh, and Black Panther showed up, he thought it was Batman. He might have been joking, because he does that with other stuff. Like, he calls every Pokemon a Pikachu, but I don't think he was joking this time. Uh, but it made me laugh anyways, you know, which is nice. Laughing's good. <laughs> we also get the motorcycle catch on the freeway, which I still think might be the most badass thing ever. Uh, I love that it was also mostly practical. It's also cute that Rhodey thinks he could take those three as he threatens them. Nah, he'd get owned. We do get the first iron cap off, though, as they uh, have a verbal fight. And uh, Cap becomes even more determined now uh, once he learns that Wanda is being kept locked up because of the fear that she's dangerous. Um, and Zemo sneaks into the place where they're all at using his EMP, and he takes control of Bucky via the code words and tries to bounce with Bucky, but uh, Steve manages to save Bucky because he's nice, and they go into hiding together. Uh, there's a moment, though, where Natasha's fighting Bucky while he's under Zemo's control, and she says, you could at least recognize me. I always hoped this was a hint at their, like, their comic book shared past, which was that he was used as one of the trainers in the, in the Red Room, and they had a romance and stuff, but I don't think we're ever going to get that now. I think we're past that. We also learn here, during these fights, that Tony is eking ever closer to a nanotech-esque suit, as he does that thing with the glove, uh, and he'll have that full suit in his next appearance, as we see in Infinity War. We also learn uh, from Bucky what the blue goo we saw earlier, earlier on does, uh, that it was used to make more Winter Soldiers, and that Zemo is trying to find them. He wants to know where they are. So Steve preps a team to go find and fight uh, the Winter Soldiers, and his team is made up of Wanda, Hawkeye, Ant-Man, Falcon, and Bucky. Then um, Tony's getting pressure to bring them, bring Cap and his people in, 
or Ross is going to handle it, and Tony doesn't want Ross to handle it, so he makes up his own team, which is made up of Black Widow, Spider-Man, Vision, War Machine, and Black Panther. Uh, one of these teams, like on its face, is, is, is superior, but I like both teams. <laughs> Hawkeye is uh, still being kind of funny, uh, like he was in Age of Ultron, his sense of humor is there, which is nice. And Ant-Man is Ant-Man. Not really much to say there, other than uh, Paul Rudd is great. Um, yeah, not really much to focus on on these guys in this movie, because they aren't in it very much. But we do get an incredible, like, 13, 14-minute showdown in the airport in Berlin, which sees everyone get, like, a little moment to sparkle. Uh, Ant-Man goes Giant-Man. Bucky and Steve get away thanks to Natasha. Uh, Vision accidentally cripples War Machine, and the rest of Steve's team gets captured and sent to the raft, which is a prison in the middle of the ocean. Uh, it's quite possibly the best action scene to this point in time in the MCU, so up, all the movies up to 2016, I think. Uh, though Bucky and Cap on the freeway and Winter Soldier is also up there because it's very good. Yeah, so we are introduced a little bit before the airport battle to uh, Tom Holland as Peter Parker. Uh, Tom Holland is incredible. He's not what I picture per se for Peter. Like, he's not the how I view Peter in my mind, I guess, necessarily. Mainly because the Peter I'm most familiar with in comics is, like, adult Peter. Like, the... As he has been adult for the last, like, 30, 40 years of the Amazing Spider-Man, like, run. But Tom Holland makes the role his own in a way that just fits the character. I think he is the best live-action Spider-Man and Peter Parker we've had so far, for sure. Uh, I still wish to this day that they hadn't spoiled him being in this movie, but I totally get why they did. Like, it drummed up a lot of interest in probably early ticket sales, so I get it. After the fight, Tony kind of realizes that Cap was telling the truth and that he might have been wrong or hasty in all of this. I think more that he was hasty in it than he was wrong. Uh, I think it's what he feels. So he decides to go help them and uh, Black Panther, still seeking revenge, follows along. Which is apparently exactly what Zemo wanted. Uh, Zemo didn't want the Winter Soldiers other than to kill them so that they couldn't be used, which he does. He shoots them all in the head uh, while they're in their like, cryosleep. But he wanted uh, Tony and Captain America in the same place so he could show them the tape of what happened on December 16, 1991. And uh, as I said earlier, it's on the tape is Bucky killing Tony's parents, to which Tony kind of rightfully loses it and he attacks both of them. Uh, T'Challa seeing this reaches like his the end of his character development of this movie where he realizes that he was consumed by vengeance just like they were and just like Zemo was. And he doesn't want to be like that anymore. He, uh, it's just he doesn't think it's the right thing to do. So he goes to confront Zemo, who is about to kill himself, and T'Challa stops him, and he gives the great line, uh, the living are not done with you yet, which I really liked. Anyways, yeah, we learn that Zemo's doing this uh, because he thinks the Avengers are the problem. Uh, he thinks they bring about destruction and chaos, and then they don't stay to help people, which is kind of exactly what 
Charlie Spencer's mom said, and then Thunderbolt Ross said, uh, we learned that his family died in Sokovia, uh, and he blames the Avengers, and he recognizes that he couldn't go after them, so rather than going after them like himself, he sought to make them destroy themselves from the inside, and he knew how to do it. He, uh, he wanted to break the Avengers, and he essentially did. I think the only thing, like the only thing that got them together again, was Thanos and and fifty percent of the living creatures being wiped from existence. I've not I noticed some like in reviews back in the day, and even I guess now still people complain that he was a bad villain or that he didn't really do anything. But I, I think it's quite clear what he did. Like he was the puppet master of everything that went on in this movie, other than the Accords, because those were happening other anyways. But he like. He controlled everything else going on, and he's the first villain to win in the MCU because he did win. He got exactly what he wanted, even before Thanos won. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to see him uh, again. He's coming back for the Falcon and Winter Soldier show on Disney Plus, and I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, back to the fight. Uh, Tony is kind of rightfully upset about his mom, and he's lost to the rage. Like, from an outside perspective, obviously it wasn't Bucky's fault. He was mind-controlled, and, and they all know it. But in the moment, I don't really blame Tony entirely. Like, lashing out and poor decisions are very clearly in his character. Uh, it's just like... it's like There's the fun meme to blame uh, Star-Lord for punching Thanos in the face. But everything we'd seen up to this point in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies is that Star-Lord has a temper and he reacts poorly to things like he when he like shoots the shit out of uh, Ego when he learns that he put the tumor in his mom and stuff like it's what he does and it's the same thing with uh, with Tony he lashes out he makes poor decisions and I also don't blame Cap who's just trying to protect Bucky and then you can't blame Bucky because he's just trying to get away um I also feel like maybe there's a chance he's trying to keep Tony from doing something he may regret because he knows that Tony will eventually realize that it wasn't Bucky's fault and if he killed him then that's just that's on Tony no confirmation of that that's just something I think maybe might have been there um Tony's upset also though at, at Captain America that Cap didn't tell him about this and I think Cap's kind of right not to like in that Tony's been shown in the past movies that he doesn't handle things the best and Cap also didn't know for sure that Bucky did it. Like, he knew Hydra did it. And like anyone else, he probably could have put the pieces together that Bucky did it, but he had no proof or nothing. And he was still trying to help fix Bucky first because Bucky was still broken in a problem. I would assume that at some point he would have eventually told Tony anyways, but we don't get to find that out because he, he found out from what's-his-face, uh, Zemo. <laughs> we do get another excellent action sequence as Tony fights Cap and Bucky and we get two iconic shots which is uh, the shield toss between Bucky and Cap that was seamless and then the iconic uh, Civil War cover shot of the beam being deflected off of Tony sh or Cap's shield Sorry. Uh, Tony's completely outmatched in this fight but the suit still gave him enough of an advantage to disarm Bucky literally uh, disarm Bucky and uh, and to fight Steve a bit but Steve still manages to take out the suit and they leave Tony behind 
and with Cap leaving the shield there, because Tony's like, "You, that's my dad's shield. You don't deserve it." Anywho, uh, <laughs> Steve writes Tony a nice letter apologizing and stuff, uh, and he goes to the raft to free his buds. Presumably, Hawkeye and Ant Man stay there, like he doesn't release them, because we know that later they're released on house arrest. But why would they have been given house arrest if they had, like, escaped prison? I don't know. But uh, anyway, we see Rhodey's alive uh, after being hit by Vision's beam, but we learn that he can't walk anymore uh, without a thing that Tony made him for his legs and spine. And we learn, uh, finally, that Steve and Bucky are in Wakanda where T'Challa is going to allow Bucky to stay in cryosleep while his scientists, mainly Shuri, uh, try to figure out how to fix his mind and like remove the code words and stuff. And we get a post credit scene of, of them in Wakanda discussing this very thing, and then another post credit scene of Spider-Man playing with his outfit, I guess. Yeah. Uh, of the non-Avengers movies, this is my second favorite of all the Marvel movies behind Winter Soldier. Uh, I'm not sure how they rank up against Infinity War and Endgame, so that's why I just I like to specify that I'm not counting them. <laughs> it is so good, though, and so emotional, yet still funny, and the action is incredible. Like, I think from these two movies, you can clearly see why the Russos were trusted with Infinity War and with Endgame. And uh, watching this has just gotten me hyped to rewatch Black Panther and the Infinity Duo again. So I, I cannot wait for that. I'm going to do that fairly soon. Probably not today. So I, I, like I said, I got the other movies I want to watch, but I'm going to do that at some point. And it'll be a goo time. But yeah, uh, that's, I think, everything that I wanted to talk about for Civil War. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a sad day, and. I guess this just helps helps brighten it a little bit, being able to watch this very good movie and then talking about it in some form. Uh, I hope everyone's doing well. I hope everyone is is living life, you know, to its fullest, or just enjoying themselves as, as they would like to do on a lovely Saturday. It is Saturday today. It's not quite lovely outside here, but you know, it's Saturday. You can't complain too much. But yeah, um, the next episode up will probably be the Chamber of Secrets one next week, and then after next week I go back to work, as I talked about last time, so we're gonna, I'll try to fit in what I can then, uh, but yeah, for the other movies I, I, I'm hoping to do, uh, for this would be Black Panther, then Infinity War and Endgame, um, but before I do Infinity War and Endgame, I will probably do Avengers 1 and 2. So either Avengers 1 or Black Panther will be the next of the MCU to come. And then Chamber of Secrets is also, as I said, on the docket. Yeah, I, I hope if you listen to this, uh, you enjoyed it somewhat. And thank you for listening to it. And, and hopefully we'll see you again. Alright, thanks for listening to Eric's Mediocre Adventures. Meh.